Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Your comment about being full-time parent is right on point. I am taking it to heart. 50 years later, working on being an awesome grandparent, how do I apologize to kids for my bad fathering? It hurts my heart to see how I've neglected him. Well, I, I don't. I'm glad you're an awesome grandparent, and I think you are helping your child. Because I, I hear this when I'm running treatment, which is um, my children have noticed and said to me, wow, you really are interacting in a much more compassionate or engaged way with my kids. Thank you. And so I do think they notice, I'm not saying this is the answer, but I think if they they will notice the changes in you in terms of your relationship with their children, and that will make them feel better. But to your point, I, I, I want to speak personally, which is um, one of the greatest gifts that I could have been given by my parents, and I really mean this, um, is if at any point ever before they passed, they had said in any way, you know, we don't think we did the best job or there were things we didn't do right. Or had there been any acknowledgement that it wasn't just about me, that the problem wasn't mine, that would have been an incredible gift to me. Um, and they didn't have to do anything about it. They have to pay for my therapy just to acknowledge, gee, it didn't go as well as it might have. So to me, I think to say to your kids, I've been thinking, I've been growing, and I just want you to know, I think I could have been a better dad. And I'm so, so sorry that I didn't spend more time or more for whatever, and leave it there. And even if you just say that, what you're telling them is your, your beliefs, your experience is valid. You didn't make that up. I wasn't as available because kids will blame themselves or kids will you know, idealize a parent or, but to go to them and say, I know something wasn't right. It probably didn't feel right to you. And this is why that's the most incredible gift you can give them. Don't necessarily tell them what it was, but in fact, I would prefer that you don't tell them what that was, but that, that, that you were distracted, that you weren't the best parent, that you wish you'd done this or that and leave an opening for there. And most often they're going to rush in and say, oh no, dad, that you were fine, you were fine, because that's what kids do. But I think, again, you go back and say, I, I'm so glad you feel that way. But in me, in my looking back on your parenting, I could have done a better job. And that will mean everything to them. Tammy, if you don't- Well said. Ahead. Okay. Thank you. Can you can you please define recovery is the next question. Ooh, I want you to start. That's what okay. I want you to start. I, I do love this question because like I really have very clear delineation about it. Abstinence is first. Just stopping the problematic behavior is abstinence. That's not recovery. I get people all the time that I've been in recovery for five weeks. No, you've been abstinent for five weeks. You stop the problematic behavior. Then I kind of look at the next phase is sobriety. It's like you're starting to put the puzzle pieces together. Recovery is a process. It's showing up differently. It's like Dr. Rob was just talking about with that last question. You start showing up differently. And it isn't just about the not acting out piece. It's about I'm living differently. I'm showing up, you know, in my home life differently. I'm showing up with integrity to relationships. I do what I say I'm going to do. And otherwise I, you know, I take care of it. Like the earlier ATM one, that's, that to me isn't recovery. That's like, I'm still in the middle and on a slippery slope. So, so what I find is it, it really does take, you know, it, you know, 18 months to two years to real, if you're doing the stuff, 
It doesn't just magically happen like, oh, flip a switch, you know, at a certain time period. But you, so I, I really do find this for myself. Like I know the 12 steps. And if I stop at any given moment, I can tell you what step I'm working on right in that moment. But they're so ingrained in me that I live them now. So it's a very different process than having to think about every single, you know, aspect of it. But it's so worth it to, you know, to be congruent, to not be um, uh, compartmentalized, not lie to myself, not blame shift, you know, um, to have the ability to clean up a mess. If, you know, if I need to make amends, I make amends. I don't like making amends. So I would do my darndest to live so I don't have to, but if I have to, I will, you know, if I need to, because there's a need on my part. So that's my shortest version. Um, but I really do see it as, because I, you know, I, people think as soon as they stop acting out there in recovery and I go, yep, no, that's abstinence. I'm writing a whole list. <laughs> so I'll tell you what I wrote so far. Um, I started with what Tammy said, you stop the behavior. You have understood that, you, that your healing is a primary life goal forever, that you can't let go of that. that you, you're doing something every single day toward change. And I'm not going to go into what they are. We talk about them forever. You're fully honest with yourself or and others. And if you're not, you go back and clean it up. Um, you clean up your shit. You, you are honest and you have integrity. You're one person. That's the outcome. Um, you have people that you can turn to when you're in trouble. And those relationships are ongoing, not something you just reach out to when you're in, in a crisis. Um, I could write a million more things. But um, what I'm really talking about is the belief and understanding that we are deeply flawed, as are all human beings. But for us, for our kind of flaws, require a daily recommitment to understanding what we need to do to be sane. Because we're not sane. We're crazy people. And our remission is is dependent on the relationships we have to support us in healing. Um, whether that's therapy or groups or, you know, it's all about in some ways not trying to do it yourself. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of there are books about this. <laughs> what is recovery? How do you define recovery? Um, everyone will have a different answer. But but there's a reason we named our residential program seeking integrity, because integrity comes from the word disintegration. And so that's how we live as addicts. We're in different parts. There's the lying part, the, the cheating part, the, the looking good part, the whatever it is. And integrity is about no one would be surprised if I, no one would be surprised at what I do, where, I, where I've been. I have no secrets. Granted, I don't want you to see me in this shower. But if I said to you, I took a shower this morning, it wouldn't be like, oh my God, how could you? I don't want anything to be a surprise. I don't want to have to hide anything. And that's when I can begin to come me, by the way. So um, I can, I, I could answer this. I need to, we need to write a book together, Tammy, to answer this question. Um, I would love that. It's just been recorded. I would actually participate in that book writing. And I know what an ordeal book writing is. So, Oops. Well, that's okay. You I'll, shouldn't have said that. I'll support you in your journey. <laughs> oh, by the way, okay. there is yeah. a, a, there are four, I think a series of four. Can you mention the stuff you did with Charlie? Because I think that also points you 
Yes, those were on the 12 steps and she did a great job. So so we're talking about our so, mutual lovely friend, Charlie Rizian. I'm going to put a link in the chat in just a moment after I read the next question, I'll go find that link. But she wait, did a you, series of videos on the 12 steps and she took apart, I've been in recovery a long time. She took apart word by word and I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. So she did a fantastic job of breaking down every single word in you know, in the 12 steps. And so I think it's a really good way to look at things and could be very helpful. So I will pull those videos um, and put it in the chat, but you can email me if you're watching this later, Tammy, T-A-M-I at Seeking Integrity. It is on our website, but I know I know where they are and I'll go find them. So, okay, next question. And that's free. Yes. No, let's free. go, let's go, let's go. Okay, does sex addiction affect my memory to my partner? She claims to have brought something up a bunch of times and it surprises me or I am skeptical of the number of times she claims she has brought it up like she's exaggerating the number she feels disrespected by it I know what I tell her other than it has never been an issue at any other time in my life with other people work etc so I don't know what to think you want to start Tim I have some thoughts but well, I was, yeah, I was thinking like how often, you know, when people are doing their timeline or doing some work in the treatment program, right. how they can't remember stuff. Right. And, and we, so we even talk, I get lots of calls um, on Dr. Rob's peer case consultation group. So he has a group for just professionals. The number one topic is formal therapeutic disclosure. That's why it's not a do it yourself thing. The reason I bring this up is there has to be a plan for things that are forgotten as, par as part of that. If you think about in addiction, things are very compartmentalized and there is a disconnect. It doesn't give us an excuse. Um, but I was also thinking, Dr. Rob, how you talk about, you know, my wife has said that to me a thousand times and like, I never heard it. Right. So, so, so there is a disconnect and I can understand, you know, that you, perform really well at work. That's a different environment, but in a vulnerable relationship, um, you know, uh, you know the, so it could be real. Um, uh, you know, I think honoring that she's saying that, uh, understanding that she, you know, doing a better job of, you see Dr. Rob writing things down all the time. I've got notes all the time too. So sometimes it's like, you know, I need to make a note of that. I need to put that on my calendar, whatever it is, if that would help intervene, finding practical solutions for some of those things can help, you know? And again, this is just this story, this story, this particular question is why I wrote out of the doghouse because you don't understand the bigger picture. You're really in the weeds with, well, that was exaggerated. And I thought she told me, but she didn't tell me this and who cares? <laughs> she, there's a bigger picture. That she's, you know, sometimes when I want to express my anger, I'll say, I've told you, I've said this a hundred times. Well, maybe it was 45. But the bigger point is I am so frustrated because I have brought this up with you and you were not listening. So I would be less focused on, well, I, I'm not sure it was really this. And it might have been when I do my couples consults, one of the things that I say to the couple is that the detail doesn't matter. In other words, if this happened when you were on vacation three years ago, and that's what one of you thinks, but the other kind of remembers that it was four years ago when you when it was the holidays, it doesn't matter. The detail doesn't matter. What matters is why is she exaggerating things? Why? Because she doesn't feel heard. <laughs> and she, or she feels like you don't get the degree of difficulty that she's been through. Um, so I would suggest, and, and by the way, something else here, I don't know what to tell her, except this has never been an issue. Leave her alone. 
Let her think what she thinks and don't, again, out of the doghouse, don't defend, don't make apologies, don't try to get understanding. You know, I can understand why you would think that's an issue. It isn't and hasn't been, but hey, I've been lying for years, so what do I know? I'm just, in other words, stop. It's best to not try to be critical or curious about or intervene on their anger. Just let them have it. You know, I don't know whether you brought it a hundred times or three times, but I wasn't listening and that's what matters to them. So stop picking on the things, in my opinion, that leave, that, um, Start listening to her more. She feels disrespected. What are you doing that leaves her feeling disrespected? Um, and I think what you're doing is you're in the weeds and you're not seeing the larger picture. A, a lot of you guys, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of question, dog has questions in here tonight. There's a lot of, I think I'm doing the best I can to heal what's going on with my partner, but apparently I'm not getting it. And I get that. You know, we don't understand and we us underestimate and we miscalculate the degree to which our partners are angry and disappointed. And by the way, I wanna to say to all the couples that when I hear from you and I'm working directly with you, especially you spouses, when I ask you, what has your experience been like in this relationship? What has been difficult for you or the most difficult for you? Can you tell me your story, if you will? It's interesting because even though they're sitting with me or they're in our program or whatever, 80% of what the spouses say has nothing to do with sex. 80%. What they're talking about is you were lying all the time. You were distant. You were unavailable. You weren't there for me. You weren't, you know, you were out. It, it's about the intimacy and the relationship, the connection, the seeing and hearing each other, um, the abuse that never gets addressed. These are the things that really upset the spouses. Yeah, you had sex with a bunch of people and I'm furious about that. And but and I'll say to you spouses, but you all know that that's the tip of the iceberg, that your real pain, that that's the concrete thing you can point out and say, you hurt me, look at this. But if any of you spouses really question yourself, you understand, I hope that you're hurt about years and years of years of being in a relationship by yourself. Um, and all of us addicts who think, oh, no, no, I was, I was engaged. And we, you're, you think you are, but trust me, your spouse is no better and they're right. Both of us have been in situations where we were absolutely convinced that we were available. And, so, and then years later, people say, you know, you're, you were kind of a mess. Um, you're not in a position to say how you're doing. It's really your spouse's experience and what they're going through. So anyway, Moving on. Well, I, I just want to quick tag onto that and then I'll read the next question. But, um, you know, people talk about, you know, while well, I was at my kids, you know, softball game. But if but if you're thinking about acting out, you're thinking about you know, swiping or you're swiping, you know, your phone or whatever you're doing. If you're you're physically there, but mentally vacant, you're not there. You know, that's that's just the, the reality of things. So, um. Oh, I wanted to tag on one more thing too with your, cause you said, you know, we're crazy and, and we are, but, but here's the deal. Like the person that, um, but, but there's help and hope, you know, that's the difference. And the person that said, you know, my husband won't let me call him a sex addict. I was like, thank goodness for a label of an addict. Cause that told me there's something and I'm not just crazy. There's something. And there's, if I do these things, I don't have to live in that crazy and chaos you know, I can do things differently. So to me, that label was incredibly freeing, you know, not a label of shame. It's like, okay, great. There's hope. 
So, um, so I, it's always interesting when somebody says, don't, don't call me that, or I don't like the label of addict. And I'm like, well, you know, and, and I'm sorry, but that is, you know, that is a part of who I, I'm, I'm not just an addict, but you know, that is, like you said, if I don't on a daily basis, take ownership of, you know, I need to take care of myself, you know, then, you know, it's just waiting, doing push-ups. So, um, but we don't have to live in that. Okay. You're ready for the next one. I am. And, and I hope we can, you know what I was thinking, Tammy, would it be okay if we answered some of the shorter ones? We could probably get through a couple of shorter ones faster, but I well, don't the, want to leave the, I already answered the, can you give us some more um, information on the couples therapy? I put the link in the chat. Okay. So and, you're right. This is the last. Okay. Yeah. This is the last one. Cause the other one is neglected them. And I don't know what that's tagged to. So, so I'm the betrayed spouse. I've been in counseling for two years for some time. We had a sort of in-house separation. Plus he travels for work. He's not doing recovery. He won't attend these meetings. We've been separated for three weeks. This new type of separation began with a temporary wow. restraining order. I dismissed it, but don't want him back in our home. My home is very, is more peaceful without him. He's moved uh, uh, remove Ooh. me from one joint savings account. Our church agrees we need Ooh. separation for safety and well-being for all. Close friends are advising me it's time to legally separate to protect myself and kids. I've been a full-time mom for 23 years because he wanted me to stay home. Now I'm 50. He's 58. We have teens still at home. The other kids are adults. Part of me wants to have a meeting to discuss things, but my friends say to let go of his recovery. It's time to legally move away from him and forward with a legal separation. He refuses to return to his CSAT. There's no one directing him. I'm frustrated. There seems to be nothing else to do with our coupleship. I'll I, keep doing my I think my I can answer work. this fairly quickly, which yeah. is all the information you need is there. Yeah. You know, all the info, there's nothing that you don't already know. It's just, you're asking us for the answer. Everyone, you know, says, don't be together. There's a restraining order. He's taking draining money and knocking you off your bank accounts. Everyone, you know, in your church says be separated. You don't, you don't feel safe with your relationship as it was with your kids around. Um, I, I don't, I can't give you more information. I don't know your relationship, but boy, that is enough information and a legal separation what are you going to do when all the money disappears? How are you going to take care of your kids? Or I'm not saying that, that this is someone who might want to deprive their children, but some people get very angry and they want to tell you how angry they are. And so they're not going to let you have access to the money. So I wouldn't necessarily bring up lawyers except for that. When you said he's removed me from a joint savings account, that means he took a step toward eliminating your equality and putting you at risk. Um, by the way, there's violence here obviously, because you wouldn't get restraining orders and churches wouldn't be. So I, with all due respect, I don't think that you, I don't think anything you could say or do is going to make the situation different for your partner. This part, this person is deeply troubled. Um, they're impulsive, they're aggressive, they're addicted. Um, this, these are, these are the kind of issues people come to treatment for, but this isn't someone who's even willing to someone's got to meet you halfway, you know? And so um, I don't think there's anything you could say in some kind of meeting that you haven't already said, or that isn't already obvious. Now I think you need to, to begin to grieve what you already know you have to do. And if you need my permission to do it, protect, if not for you, protect your children from this kind of tension and anger and upset and violence. It's, it's your church said, we need to separate for the safety and well-being of all um 
protect myself and my kids. And as I say to a lot of um, partners, if you can't do this for you right now, do it for your children whether it's a separation or whatever, but we're saying you go to treatment or else, it isn't just about you. And kids see everything. They know everything. We just had a book come out, actually, Tammy, in our field about children of sex addicts. And it's a real gift because there's not a lot out there. And one of the things the author said to me, we did a podcast recently, um, and lots of folks like the podcast. So actually, Tammy, that would be great if you noted in there. Um, I think we had 8,000 downloads this week just to say it. Yeah, um, it's, it's, that one's live. So I will put it in. But, um, uh, right. So now the I ripple like effects I, of adult children of sex addicts with Dr. Ken Adams. Right. So what he's basically, what he's done a lot of research and looked into one of the questions he's done a lot of research about is how early did you realize that there was something meaningful going on? It probably had to do with, with your parents' intimacy or it didn't even have to be sex. How early did you realize there was some kind of problem? Tammy, do you know the answer to that that Dr. Adams told me? Just to, uh, I uh, bet quick. under age 10, but you tell me. The average age is seven. Seven. That kids knew something was wrong and it had to do with intimacy and relationship. They felt it. They knew it. By the time they're a little bit older, like approaching uh, puberty, they actually almost always know exactly what it is. So you're not you're fooling yourself if you think that you're fooling your kids, but you don't tell them you're right. I was doing this. Please don't do that. You can't acknowledge that you're struggling, some issues are going on, please don't tell, don't any of you tell your kids about your sex life. Um, but I do think this is a good book for those of you who have children to read um, about how they're being affected, how they may be affected. And, and this is, um, I think what Dr. Adams does, he took it from, he took the voices from their mouths. He confabulated their stories. So you can see the stories of where kids are, or, or adult children are coming from. And I think it's very valuable for those of your parents. Tammy, it's dinner time. It is, yes. For my dog. I, the only thing I wanted to add was your home is more peaceful and I don't want him back. So like, I, you know, you you put it in there. So what do you need to make sure that that happens? So what okay. I hear and feel here is guilt and responsibility for not being able to make it better. And, and you can't do that by yourself. So thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.